We are in uh, John chapter two. So if you have your uh, scripture notebooks, if you wanna go ahead and turn there. Uh, but as you're turning there, um, I think for a lot of us, and if you've been a Christian for very long, there are verses uh, that just kind of go over and over. We were telling our kids just a few, oh, I need to dismiss kids, thank you. Mary's back there pointing at Lily, like, let them go, let, let the kids go. All right, we're gonna start the sermon over. Uh, kids, if y'all want to head out, Miss Mary is in the foyer. Y'all can join her. All righty. Let's try this again. All right. We were having the conversation uh, with our kids just a couple uh, weeks ago. And the conversation about the, the school that I grew up in and being a Christian school, we had a lot of, of memorization and there were verses we had to, to memorize. Back then, the only Bible you were allowed to memorize in was King James. Some of you grew up in that world. Uh, but as, as we memorize some of those verses, some of those verses like kind of keep coming back to me and they come back to me over uh, and over and over. And one of those verses that I uh, think a lot about, that I have preached a lot on, but kind of come back to my, my mind over and over is Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. For you are saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves, it is God's gift. Amen. We are saved by grace through faith. And I, I read that, I kind of stop and I'm like, is, is there anything better? Is there anything better? For you are saved by grace. Grace. Now, when we define grace, we define it so many times. Uh, and kind of the, the term that if you've grown up in the church that you've heard is, is unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. And as grace, uh, kind of some other definitions, I looked it up in a like Bible dictionary. Just say like, okay, what is a Bible dictionary? How, how would it define grace? And so I kind of came back with a, a lengthy uh, definition here, but the word grace comes from the Greek word charis, which I'll talk about here in just a moment. But it's a gift or blessing brought to a man or brought to man by Jesus Christ, freely extended to give him, to give himself away to people. And Why? because he's always leaning toward them, because God is, is moving towards us. And charis is, is one of those words that as, as we talk about grace, it was a word that, that we can look back and we see that really the, the church was the one that first began using it. It was a word that was invited people into relationship. It, it comes from two words. One word was a greeting. So if you go to a liturgical church, if you went to a, uh, an Episcopal, Episcopal church or Presbyterian church or a Catholic church, they, at the beginning when they would have greeting, they wouldn't just say like, everybody stand up, give each other a hug. They would say, pass the peace. And what many of them would do is you would say to them, grace and peace to you. The church I grew up in, we, we, we did that. We would, we would greet each, each, each other and say, grace and peace to you. It's a greedy but it also comes from a root word that means joy. Where we get the word, if you see the word charis up there, it's where we get the word charity, but it's also where we get the word charisma. It was joy. And grace was, was one of those things that as the church that we understood, this is what God has done for us. There is nothing better than grace. And then John writes his gospel. 
And I think in so many ways, we're going to look at different ways as we go through his gospel of ways that John kind of just ups the bar in the way that he writes his gospel. But we get to John and we have gone through John chapter one, but I want, I want to look at a passage uh, with you today that we didn't really focus on. But John chapter one, verses four, uh, 14 through 18, this is, this is the prologue. Okay, We talked about it a few weeks ago, but I want you to see this piece of it. So in the prologue, John writes, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of what? Grace and truth. It's the first time in the gospel, the word grace has been used. It will be used four times in the entire gospel. All right, so this is the first one. Full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John testified, John the Baptist testified concerning him and exclaimed, this is the one of whom I said, the one is coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received, here it is. We've all received what? Grace upon grace. Now I said grace was used four times in this gospel. Number one, we just read. Here's number two and number three. For we all received what? Grace upon grace. And where did that come from? From his fullness. Verse 17 says, for the law was given to Moses or was given through Moses, but grace, number four, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let's go to verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the one and only son who is himself God is at the father's side. He has revealed him. So John's gospel, we're, we're at the very beginning of this series. We're in chapter two. John's gospel covers grace or uses the term grace. John uses it four times and we just read all four of them. He doesn't use the word grace again in the entire gospel. Why? I, I think an argument we could make is, is because for the rest of John's gospel, John says, I wanna tell you something. Do you want to know what you have received? Do you want to know what is better than grace? There's only one thing better, grace upon grace. There, there, there's only one thing better than grace. It's that you get a double portion of grace. It's that grace is upon grace. And for the rest of this gospel, I think John would argue and say, do you want me to tell you what God looks like? Do you want me to tell you what grace looks like? I'm going to spend the next, all of this writing explaining to you, this is what grace upon grace looks like. This is what it looks like, not just when you get a little bit of grace, but when you get grace poured on top of grace. This is what grace looks like. This is what God looks like. And the rest of his gospel, he's going to be explaining to us. And I tell you all that because this morning, what I want you to see is, is that in the midst of this, we have this first story. Most of us would call it, it's the first miracle that we have. And uh, the first miracle in, in all of um, all of Jesus's ministry. So I want to look at that passage with you. So we'll be in chapter two, verses one through 11, we'll be looking at. So you got your Bibles, let's jump into chapter two. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus's mother was there and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. 
When, wine, when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him they don't have any wine. What has this concern of yours to do with me? Woman, Jesus asked, my hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now six stone jars have been set there for Jewish purification. Each one contains 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, draw out some, now draw out some of the water and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after, after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the, first, the fine wine first. Then after people are drunk, the inferior but you, you have kept the fine wine for now. Jesus did this the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. When I was working on my uh, sermon this week, I, I thought of something that had happened when I was in college. The first sermon I ever preached in front of an audience that was not my peers, not like in class, those were the worst. But the first ones I ever like preached in front of a congregation was at Bethel Church of the Nazarene where Daniel Metters interned as well. And I preached there, the pastor was Mike Hancock and I preached on a Sunday night. He wouldn't let me preach on a Sunday morning. I preached on a Sunday night and it was from the gospel of John. And I remember one of the things I said was in, in my sermon, I made a comment. I said, in the synoptic gospels, and then went, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I meet with him the next morning we're in his office and he said to me, he said, John, great sermon yesterday. You did a really good job. But one thing I want to tell you is nobody in, the, nobody in the congregation knows what a synoptic gospel is. And me at 22 years old, because I knew everything, I thought my church is going to know what a synoptic gospel is. And then I thought this week, no, they don't. I've been here almost 14 years. Y'all don't know what a synoptic gospel is. Christopher knows what a synoptic gospel is. Most of you probably don't know what that means. So let me tell you, all right? So the synoptic gospels, the th first three letters, S-Y-N, is where we get synonym, sin, together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all right? If you read those gospels, there is a lot of kind of similar language, similar stories, similar way of telling the story, and so if you, if you look at biblical theology, talk about uh, the gospels, talk about these things, they will refer to those as the synoptic gospels because they, they have, there's a synthesis to them. Does that make sense? John, on the other hand, John just kind of does what he wants. He, he doesn't fall in line with the way the other gospels take place. And we've already seen this just in the prologue. It's not a pretty story about Elizabeth and Mary and, and, and the way Jesus starts his ministry. I mean, John just kind of like, hey, we're going to do this and we're going to do it completely differently. One of the ways that John does this, and we're going to see this all throughout this series. One of the ways that John does this is, do you know how many miracles in John's gospel Jesus performs? Okay, y'all don't know. Let me tell you, zero, zero. Because John never once uses the word miracle. He uses the word, we just read it. Where was it? Uh, verse, uh, verse 11, he did this the first of his what? Signs. 
He did this the first of his signs. There are seven signs in John's gospel that we would call miracles. But John never uses that language. Now, John is brilliant. He knows how to write his gospel. He knows how to use language. I think it was a couple weeks ago I said that to y'all. It is the best, most well-written gospel or book, period, in the New Testament. He knows how to write. He knows how to use language. He does this on purpose. So what's the difference between a sign and a miracle? Because a sign, if we're driving down the road and we want to know uh, what restaurants are at this exit, what do we do? We look for a sign, okay? Because signs give us direction, okay? Before GPS, it was the, one of the only ways, maps and signs, they gave us direction. They told us what was here. They told us where to go. And so through John's gospel, the way that John uses what we would call miracles, he doesn't use them as just a miracle. He uses them as a sign that John is pointing to something. He wants us to see something. What is he pointing at? So as we go through these seven, that's, that's going to be one of my questions. We kind of work our way through and ask the question, what, what is it that John wants us to see? What is John using this story to point us towards? So as we go through uh, this story, that's, that's kind of the question. So let's kind of walk through the story before we get to that question. So let's kind of, let's kind of walk, through, uh, walk through the story. So Jesus and his disciples, along with Mary, show up. We don't know how many disciples he has at this point. Most people probably think he's, he's got about six. So we have Mary showing up with Jesus and his six friends. So there they are, kind of, she brought along seven extra people. They come to the wedding. There's uh, kind of some extra people on, in tow. This is probably an intimate friend of Mary because she, for some reason, kind of takes this on personally. We don't know why she takes this issue on personally. It could be that she showed up with seven guys and seven guys like to eat. We don't know. But she kind of takes this on personally. The wine runs out. We don't know why, but the wine has run out. But we do know that in this culture, this would have been an embarrassment. This is, you, you have planned this wedding, you have invited these people, and to run out is an embarrassment. So there's this, this, this embarrassment, we're going to kind of get back to that here in just a moment. But this, this is an embarrassment if, if that word kind of got out in the community. So Mary comes to Jesus, they have this exchange. She says, you, you need to handle this. He responds, and then Mary tells the, the servants this incredible line, do whatever he tells you. So they fill up the jars and we see there in our Bibles, they kind of help us out a little bit, say that these jars uh, are probably somewhere between 20 or 30 gallons. All right, so six times 20 is what? 120, that's not, thank you, Jackson. It's not a trick question. This one's a little bit harder. Six times, uh, what was it, 30 is what? 180, okay, so somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons of water. Now, this is the point when the preacher brings out the five-gallon bucket of water and makes y'all carry it around to realize how heavy it is. Okay, I'm not going to do that. But these things are not light. They didn't go out to the hose pipe. They didn't drag a hose in. This is going to a well, letting down some type of, of container, getting water, pulling it out, filling up the, the things. So we go through this whole process. So this is a very tedious, a very laborious kind of task that they go through. Um, as they, and that's, yeah, we could do a whole different kind of sermon just on that issue, but Jesus tells them to draw the water out. They take it to the steward or to the head waiter. He tests it, tells them this is the best wine they have. 
Then we get to this incredible statement in verse 11. Jesus did this, the first of his signs. So why? What, what is this sign pointing to? Or kind of, a, I think maybe a better way to ask the question isn't just what is this sign pointing to? But if these stories are going to be about grace upon grace, how, how does this story show us what grace upon grace looks like? It's, it's a big amount. But the even bigger than, even, I mean, that's, that's, that's a piece of it, but you kind of have to pause and say, okay, so in this story, who is getting the blessing? Or, or who, who is Jesus performing this for? In this story, who, who is blessed by the story? The, the wedding host. The wedding host, the bridal party, the family, they're the ones blessed by the story. And are they blessed a little bit or are they blessed a bunch? A lot. If we, I was looking at commentary this week uh, and it was not written by Nazarene because the, the author actually knew how much a bottle of wine contains. I don't know, I have no idea. I know it's like this big. I don't know how much is in there, but she did the math, all right? If we're going 100 and what were we, 120 to 180 gallons, that is somewhere between 800 and 1,000 bottles of wine. Okay, that's a lot. Yeah, for any yeah for any wedding, that's a lot. This gift is a gift of abundance. So how is this story pointing to grace? upon grace. I think John gives us some clues because there's language that John uses in this story. And so if you kind of go through this story, there are some kind of key words that he uses. The very first key word that he uses, I think that he wants us to understand is, is the way he opens this whole chapter. What's the first thing John says? On what? The third day. Okay, does that, anybody, any bells rung? What's the third day? What does that mean to us today? Resurrection. Jackson, I'm glad you were here to answer the questions. Resurrection. I'm glad you're here anyway, but that helps. Resurrection. On the third day. There's another little statement. Jesus' mother. Who is Jesus' mother? Mary, okay? She is not named in John's gospel once. She only shows up in John's gospel twice. Right here, and where else? Y'all remember? Where? At the end. What end? At the crucifixion. Who's at the, who's at the base of the cross? Jesus' mother. Wine. Do you know how many times wine shows up in John's gospel? Two times. Right here. You want to know where else? I know for most of us, we're thinking, you know what, it's, well, when in the institution of communion or the Eucharist, that, that's where it happens. John's gospel, he doesn't, it's only bread. He doesn't even have wine there. So where does it show up? Chapter 19, at the cross, Jesus says, I'm thirsty. What do they give him? Sour wine. And then there's this little phrase, my hour has not yet come. What, what is he talking about? The, the end, my hour, this, this whole kind of picture of the passion, 
from Palm, or from, well, really, from Palm Sunday all the way to Easter Sunday, his hour, the time to him fulfill the reason that he came. So in John chapter 2, how do we see grace upon grace? In John chapter, chapter 2, we say, well, grace upon grace is, is that there's a family. They've run out of wine. They are embarrassed. This is terrible. And so God says, let me bless you abundantly. And here you go. Here's 1,000 bottles of wine to help you out. But, but don't, don't miss what I'm pointing you to. Because the day is going to come when the abundance isn't just for this family. The blessing isn't just for this family, but the blessing is for all of humanity. And in that hour, it isn't the water that is turned to wine, but it is the son who gives himself for you, for me. And it's not just grace upon grace to a family at a wedding, it's grace upon grace to humanity. And the abundance that God gives isn't a thousand bottles of wine. The abundance that God gives is himself. And, and John's gospel begins to tell us what, what we're going to do this whole time is we're going to keep pointing back to the cross. We're going to keep going back to the cross because that is where abundance lives. That is where life lives. You want to know what life is. It's at the cross. It's the new life that comes on Easter morning. That's where our life is found. And so my, my question for you this morning really comes back to the middle of this story. We get to this story and, and Jesus has this interaction with his mother and then his mother says to the servants, you know what? I don't know what he's gonna do, but do whatever he tells you to do. And guys, as, as powerful as this story is, that might be one of the most powerful statements in the whole thing. Because we can kind of fast forward and we'll, we'll hit some of these stories as we go through. But you can go through John's gospel and you can start to see some of these stories where Jesus tells somebody to do it. And when they do it, take this mat, go wash in this, this pool and the man is healed. Or take your mat and get up and walk. And guess what happens when the guy gets up? He walks. And Mary says to us, whatever he tells you to do, you need to do it. And, and my question on this New Year's, and I know we're a week in, but my question on this New Year's is this, what, what would my life look like if I listened to the mother of our Lord? What, what would my life look like if I just did whatever he told me to do? What, what, what is he telling me to do? What is he telling you to do? Because the scary thing is, is, is I know I've, I live the same place y'all do where you think, you know, well, you know, pastor, I really don't want to do that because I don't know what's going to happen. That's right. I don't know what's going to happen. But, but what I do know is this story is filled with grace upon grace. And I do know that whatever does happen is going to be grace upon grace. Because I think grace is, is pretty great. And John says, you know what, grace is pretty great. But there's one thing that's better. It's grace upon grace. 
And whatever you think that you could do, whatever you think that, that you could do personally, if God was to do it, it's so much more than what you could ever imagine. It's grace upon grace. Wherever it is God is leading, it's about grace upon grace. It's about abundance. It's about a thousand bottles of wine. It's about a cross and a savior who died for us. Because when God does it, it's beyond anything that we can imagine. This morning, my my question to you is, what does that grace upon grace look like? What is it that Mary is saying to you? I don't know what he's going to tell you to do, but you need to do it. What is God asking you to do? I've had kind of a a thought in my head for a a while now, for a few months of kind of trying to think through some some ways that we close our services and trying to think through new ways to do it. And Friday night, I was standing with Matt Taylor, who was our speaker for TNT. We were out in the foyer, we were talking Friday night, and Matt and I are part of um, a group of Nazarene pastors. And so the last time they got together was in November and I wasn't able to be there. And so I asked Matt, I said, Matt, if you could take one thing away from this whole thing, what would it be? And so Matt told me, he said, the best thing that anybody said the whole, the whole time together was this. And he told me, and he said, and I went home and I told my worship leader, we're going to start doing that. I really like that. And he told me, and I said, I'm going to go tell my worship leader tomorrow that we're going to start doing that because I really like it. I think it's a great idea. So that's, so I'm telling you that to say that this is an answer to prayer in my own heart of how to close our services. We're going to start doing it. It's going to be new. It's going to be a little bit different. But also, it's not my idea. It's somebody else's idea. But I'm really excited about it. So this is what we're going to do, all right? You are looking at me like, what is he about to say? Because some of you are thinking, if he says we're all going to hug each other, I'm not doing that. That's not it. All right, so this is what we're going to do. I want to start closing the services. I want to go, can I? I'm going to go down on the floor here in just a second if if we need to change a camera to get down there. This is what I wanna do. I wanna start closing our services with with prayer, but to have kind of three, three things that we could do. So my first question is, every week is gonna be, this is kind of how I've challenged you, okay? My question this morning is what? What, what is God asking you to do? What is it that when you hear those words, when Mary says, just do whatever he tells you to do, what is he telling you to do? And some of you might say, That's, I need to pray for that. There's something that God's asking me to do. But also every week I'm going to ask Pastor James, which Pastor James is not here. He doesn't know this. If he's watching online, he's just learning this right now, by the way. But I'm gonna ask Pastor James every week that if you would like to pray for salvation, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, to come down to this far altar and Pastor James will meet with you and pray with you. Okay, today I've asked Randy to go down there. If anybody wants to pray with him, Randy will go down there and pray with you. And then the third one is if you would come down to this altar, anyone that says, Pastor, what I need this morning is for someone to pray a prayer of healing over me. I, I need to be healed or I need for whether it's, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's spiritual, I, I need to be anointed for healing. And that every morning we, or every Sunday that we close our services, and that if you want to come and be anointed for healing, that I've got the oil, it's right here in my pocket. 
that I will anoint you and pray over you. If you say, Pastor, I don't need to be anointed, but I have one of my dear friend, my mom, my aunt, I would like to be anointed in their place. I'm happy to do that. But I think it would be a great opportunity for us as the people of God to be able to come and just close our services doing those things. We have two altars on this side. If you say, Pastor, I hear your challenge. I need to pray about that. You got two altars over here. And we have two altars over here. One, if you want to pray with Pastor James or this morning with Randy for salvation or this one to be anointed for healing, that you could come and pray. For us to be able just to close our services and praying that way. For you to know this week to say, yo, Pastor, I, I don't, somewhere this week you might think, you know what, I need to go down Sunday morning to pray for healing. Or I need to go down for this. That you know that every week this is what we're going to do. And just to open it up, there might be no one come. We might be here for another two hours. No, but we, however God wants to do it, I'm good with it. And I know it's gonna take, anything we change is always a little bit odd. It might take a little bit of time to get used to it. But this morning, John's gonna come and we're gonna sing. But the invitation is, is what I just said. If you wanna come down and pray and say, I need to accept Christ. I've never accepted Christ or I did when I was a kid. I wanna pray with somebody about my salvation. Randy will be happy to meet with you down there. If you wanna pray for healing, you can come right here to my right to your left and I will pray with you and anoint you. And if you just say, God has laid this on my heart, this is what God is pushing me to do. And I need to go and just say, God, I don't know what, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know where you're pushing me but I'm going to rest in the fact and the hope and the promise of knowing that you are a God who does it abundantly. The gift on that wedding in Cana, the gift was to a family and the gift was abundant. The gift on the cross was for you and for me and it was more abundant than we could ever imagine. And he wants to give you that gift, but it starts with hearing Mary's words you need to do whatever he tells you. And if he's telling you, you need to do it. So this morning, if you want to come and find a place to pray, I just invite you to come as we sing. Let us stand.